This is Brian Reisman. Welcome to SideJams, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. I'd like to thank Pantheon sponsor AKG for their support of this podcast. If you like what you hear, please dive into other episodes and subscribe to keep up with the latest ones. This is Brett from Blue Stolly, and you're listening to Side Jams with Brian Reisman on the Pantheon Podcast Network. Reese Fulber is an electronic music explorer whose varied projects reflect different aspects of his personality. He first came to prominence back in the 80s with the pioneering electro-industrial group Frontline Assembly, whose latest album, Mechanical Soul, features guest appearances from Fear Factory guitarist Dino Cazares and Front 242 frontman Jean-Luc Demeyer. Reese and his Frontline collaborator Bill Lieb also work together in the ethereal dance group Delirium, who are two-time Juno Award winners in their native Canada. Reese makes further music in his ambient pop project Conjure One and has also recorded as Will, Synesthesia, and Noise Unit not to mention his many producing and mixing credits. He's been a busy man. When he's not immersed in recording or performing, Reese indulges in his newfound passion for photography and his love for studying architecture. For episode 36 of SciJams, we spoke about those interests and how they relate both to his life outside Vancouver, where he recently relocated, as well as his free time when out on tour or traveling. I've been enjoying Reese's different musical projects over the last 25 years, so it was great to finally interview him. Well, thanks for taking the time to chat. Hey, no problem. I remember when I discovered Frontline Assembly, it's 95, hardwired. Were you a metal fan more? I started off as a metal fan, I was a thrash metal kid. Yeah, 95 was sort of when we started reaching um, more of that audience. I remember the US tour we did in 96, the attendance definitely went up and we had different people coming to the shows. It was, it was a change, I remember. We kind of expanded our audience a little bit with uh, Roadrunner. And you guys actually did an album. We had, we had the Intermix album that was on Third Mind. Yeah, Third Mind was purchased by Roadrunner, so they, they bought the catalog. So then everything we put out was coming out on Roadrunner. So Roadrunner was a good company at the time. I, I, I appreciate it m- more now with um, some time that they were a great company to be on. Well, I think what's interesting is metal guys like me who would get into other things later on. Like, I remember Relapse in the late 90s started putting out some dark ambient stuff. Yeah, I knew those guys. They were interested in some of the... I had another project called Will I was doing before Frontline, and those guys were really into that. No, I had talked to those guys. They were already very much um, into a lot of those sounds. And, and, you know, there was a lot of guys in in the thrash and death scene that loved Skitty Puppy and... You know, they like stuff that was weird and extreme. So there was already, that connection was already floating around a bit. I was thinking about the fact that all those metal albums I listened to had all these different atmospheric intros or instrumentals, you know? And I, I, I mean, I think about like, yeah. oh yeah, that's dark ambient music or that's like, you know, a little bit of a Latin guitar. I mean, I was never into metal when I was a kid. I was into punk. And then from punk, I got into electronic music and then industrial music. But I remember sort of when punk and metal started blurring. I remember that, like 84 or something like that. I listened to Metallica and Slayer. They were really the only metal bands I could say I liked in in the late 80s and stuff like that. I didn't learn much more about the subculture of metal until, you know, later on with Roadrunner and everything. I mean, the new Frontline, you know, obviously it's very electronic driven, but I mean, Dino shows up from Fear Factory on one track. Of course. I mean, I mean, I've been working with Dino again on some new Fear Factory stuff. So, oh, wow. you know, we, we talk frequently and that is interesting. The song Stifle on the new Frontline was actually, I was doing music for the video game Cyberpunk 2077. Yeah. And I had done, I don't know, I think I had done five or six compositions for the game to submit and two of them made the cut. And then there was a couple others they, they didn't pick up and Stifle was one of the tracks. And I played it for Bill because I thought, hey, Bill, check this out. I think this is pretty cool. And Bill's like, yeah, I really like this. And then yeah. he went and put vocals on it. And then it really started sounding like a frontline track. And then Bill actually suggested to me, hey, you know what we need on this? We need some guitar stabs. Just so, like, gung, gung. you know, we need a couple guitar shots. He's like, and I go, ah, I'll just ask Dino and done, done. What's interesting, I mean, you guys have done separately and together a lot of different projects. You get to express yourselves in a lot of different ways. Yes. I mean, very clearly, the new front line, there's um, the song Unknown has got a bit of almost like a poppy vibe, actually. Well, Unknown was actually the last song we did on the record. You know, we kind of did most of the record remote. 
so I was kind of sending Bill music and then he would kind of, you know, Amy, maybe add something here or maybe change this part. And then he went and recorded the vocals. Uh, I was still in Los Angeles when we started the record. And then in the summertime, I moved back up here to British Columbia, mainly so my son could go to school because schools were open and they were closed in California. And I couldn't handle watching another year of Zoom school. Um, it was rough. And I'm fortunate enough that you know, I'm Canadian and I could come back. And my son was actually born in Canada. So we just both came up and, you know, we're in a small town where it's, it's not that bad. And, and I mean, there's still restrictions, but it's sure, sure. You know, relatively functional. That was the main reason I came back. And now it's just turned out to be beneficial in other ways as well. I have a good studio I can work at up here. And, well, that always helps. But the, the song Unknown, I, you know, Bill sort of said, like after we had most of the record, Bill was kind of mm-hmm. like, you know, I think we need one more kind of song maybe a little more old school maybe a little the way the way i describe unknown it's like a fun song you know yeah like <laughs> it is yeah and uh slightly brighter i guess yeah so bill was like maybe we need to do something a little more old school a little more like some of the stuff on tactical and and so i'm like all right and i put something together and it had an odd chorus like it was like six instead of eight or something okay bill was like okay maybe add another chord so it's even and and then he put vocals. I actually recorded his vocals on Unknown at the studio I work at here. So that was the, the one time we were in the room together. And I think he might have played a couple keyboard licks on a couple of the other songs, like just to add to add something yeah, to yeah. it. And so we did have one day in the same room together. We kind of <laughs> bubbled up. So it wasn't a big deal. And a new world also has like an atmospheric kind of vibe to it, you know, and it's, I mean, cause I think of all it, I, I mean, I think that the new album sort of has different elements of some of the different projects you've been involved with over the years. Well, you can kind I, of hear I, those different sounds. I, yeah. I mean, the music for this record was, you know, in March, I think I was still in LA and Bill was talking to me about making a new record. And I'm like, well, I have a lot of music. Why don't I send you some of the music I have? And so I had all these different bits and pieces and I think that's where the variety comes from is there was things from different periods of time and, yeah, yeah. and he picked what he liked and he picked what inspired him. And then he did vocals to a bunch of the songs and then sent them back. And then I manipulated those. And the only song we had the song glass and leather already. That was the only song because we had that when I think last time frontline played in Los Angeles might've been 2018. I can't quite remember. Okay. I had a song that I was going to release one of my solo techno releases, like a 12 inch or something. And I said, Hey, Bill, I got this track might be cool. If you threw a vocal, like it was going to be like a guest vocal on Mm -hmm. one of my techno tracks. And then after Bill laid down the vocals, it was sort of like, Hmm. All right. Yeah. I think this is a frontline song and we were going to keep it for a new single. And then we just ended up doing an album instead. So glass and leather, we already had, ready pretty much as okay. pretty close to where it ended up being and bill went for like a jg ballard in los angeles kind of lyrical vibe on that one <laughs> uh, like but so that's the pre that's the only pre-pandemic the only pre-pandemic song is a glass and leather right on and then the re- the rest of the music was sort of stuff floating around but then bill you know wrote to it during the this whole situation uh, okay. over the course of the year Obviously, you know, with with my podcast, I talk about music, but also the whole the whole side jams thing is for getting into people's sort of passions outside of, of music. And I'm curious what it is you wanted to talk about. Like, what what would people be surprised to learn that you do or like? Or well, something? I don't know. I mean, I guess anyone that follows my Instagram knows I take pictures, so that's sort of my main other creative process. Is I love taking photos, and I don't fully know what I'm doing. I'm kind of learning. I'm, I mean, I'm learning a lot more. I think I took a photography class in high school. Well, that was a long time ago. And so I really enjoy photography. Yeah, I'm going through some of your photos now. There's a lot of nature stuff. Yeah, like, let's get, a lot of the pictures are taken where I live, like just down the street or not even, it's not even a street, it's down a trail. So most of the pictures, because I live somewhere that's really photogenic and I'm always walking around and every day it's like a photograph and I'm like, oh, I got to grab that. Yeah. And, and honestly, I don't have to do much to these pictures. They They speak for themselves. It's... I'm lucky I live in a place that looks like that. Now, is this iPhone stuff or is this a separate camera? Uh, a bit of both. I, the iPhone pictures are actually, nowadays, the, uh, on the 11, mm-hmm. 11 Pro, the pictures are actually quite quite good. They, they have a quality that my main camera doesn't even get sometimes. I have a Nikon that I also use, but 
it's weird how sometimes the iPhone has a quality, like you just do a couple minor edits and it almost looks better than the um, bigger sensor photographs. Which is um, bizarre actually, given that it's a smaller camera, smaller yeah. lens. So I, I use, I mean, there's some photos in there I've done with like what I call the real camera. Okay. But there, you can't really tell. You can't really tell them apart too much. I'm looking here. Um, well, like, what, what is the real camera? What kind of camera do you use? It's Pro just camera? a Nikon. It's nothing, it's nothing fancy. It's like a, That's what it's, I use, a yeah. it's a DX Nikon. It's not like a, even the full frame VX. I, I need to upgrade my digital camera. I actually got lent a bunch of analog cameras. And uh, when you get used to digital photography, going back to an analog camera is like, oh my God, really? And it like, you never, it's like, it's a film loaded. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> and I got like this East yeah. German camera I've been really keen on using and now it won't advance anymore. And I'm like, what do I do with this now? And it, it's, oh, you're talking it's, old school film camera now. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, like I have a couple 35 millimeter cameras, but it's like, it's just, I mean, a long time ago, I used to mess around with stuff. But now when you get used to like instantly analyzing what you're doing, it's such a, uh, it's, I mean, I want to get into it more, but it's like, it tries your patience when you're used to things now, because now with my Nikon, I've, you know, I can control aperture easily. I can do all the, the sure. exposure time, everything. But when you're on some of these analog cameras, it's like some of the aperture, it's, it's hard to even move the, I don't know. A well, real photographer would be laughing right now, but, um, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I went to film school and I did, you know, I did have a 35 millimeter class. My dad has done pictures all his life. I mean, he mostly shot black and white 35 millimeter with an icon. I mean, obviously there's Nikon, there's Canon, there's Leica, which is sort of the. Leicas are amazing. Rolls they're Royce, not easy I guess. to use. Yeah. Yeah. I have yeah. a Pentax right now that I really want to get going, but I have to go get a battery for it. And, and I like the new Fuji cameras. The digital Fuji cameras are really nice and they, they have a, probably the most analog looking pictures i think that i've really in my opinion um the sony's the alphas are fantastic but they look so they look too good they look so hype they look hyped up somehow Um, so someone's thinking about canons that canons the colors pop more than say the nikon but the nikon looks more realistic i mean i've only ever used nikon for um film or for for digital I mean, I'm used to Nikon and the language. So I, like, I was thinking of just upgrading the Nikon and getting a, a like a full frame VX. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I have friends that are professional photographers and a lot of them have told me that the glass is the most important part, that your sensor is actually not as important as yeah, the lens itself. A lot of people say that the glass is, is the most important part. And that's where the money gets crazy. Well, yeah, I mean, you, can be pro, you can be a pro photographer and spend, you know, thousands of dollars. I mean, you know, it's funny. Um, <laughs> I was producing a band in uh, Geneva, Switzerland a few years ago. And there's something funny. I noticed the Geneva airport has a pro photo shop. I've never seen that before. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like lenses and all this camera gear, like a professional photography store is at the Geneva airport. And I'm only, I'm assuming that's because it's such a world center, like UN and world health and all these yeah. like there's all these places there and a lot of companies have their european headquarters in geneva i'm sure yeah. it's a tax thing and so i guess a lot of photojournalists or something go through there but it's the only airport i've ever seen with a full-on professional photo store and banana and then banana is four dollars at the geneva airport <laughs> well, that's not a surprise <laughs> Oh my but God. yeah, I really like, I like photography and I like nature and I like I've noticed. Yeah. Since I moved up here, I, I just go down to the beach and I make a fire and I sit there and just, I don't know how to describe it. I just, it's like a meditation almost. Um, there's I'm, a fire. I'm, there's a couple of photos right here of fire by the beach. Yeah. That's campfire. what I do. That's, little, that's literally too, actually. That's like a, an abandoned cabin. I, I have like a little spot and there's never anyone there. Like once in a while, like once a week, I'm down there, somebody will walk by and I'm getting to know the local people, but yeah. I'm usually completely alone. Granted, it's cold. It's not warm right now. I'm, da- I'm sitting down there and it's, it's in, hmm. in, you know, in American temperature, it's like yeah, 40, yeah. 40 years, maybe 35 yeah, yeah. to 45, somewhere in there. Pacific Northwest weather. But it's just, it's literally, I can sit and watch especially when the tide comes in high and carries out all the wood. And I, yeah. I call it like God rearranges the furniture because almost every t- time you go to the beach, if the tide is high, everything's different. All the, the way the logs are arranged. Yeah. And I like take pictures of it. I'll take a picture of the little beach strip 
and the arrangement of the logs. And then it, sometimes the tide doesn't come up enough. It depends mm-hmm. on the moon and a bunch of things. But when it's always coming up high, every day you go down there, it's different. And there was like this huge log I was sitting on for a while and it's gone and it's, it was big. And it's amazing to me that it's mm-hmm. just got taken away and it was huge. I mean, this is like, I can't imagine the weight of this object, how it just easily gets carried away and moved somewhere else. And I actually bought a, um, it's a, uh, it's like a tracking device. It's like, I bought it from some company in America that like markets it to psychos that want to follow their wife around and stick this magnet under their car. Cause it's magnetic. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Really, God. really. It, it's, and it's a GPS tracking device. That's creepy. Yeah, it is totally weird, but I bought one because I'm going to put some little get like on a big log and uh-huh. put in maybe a little plate and hammer it in and then stick this thing on there and kind of push it out and and just see what happens and see where it goes. I think I get about a week or two of battery. <laughs> so I cuz I spend so much time just watching idea. the tide and watching everything shift around that I like I'm going to do a little like I feel like I'm in like grade 8 science or something and I'm going to go down there and I'm going to put this tracking device on a log just cuz I'm curious where it goes. It's the, the thing that I love so much about the ocean is it's different every day. Every every day you look at it, it's never the same. It's the mm. most incredible thing. It's like uh, actually the guy who did my tattoos was the one who turned me on to that because he had a place in the Philippines on the on the ocean. Yeah. different every day because he was a painter and it's something i always remembered and it's totally right every day you look at the ocean and it's different it's ne- i mean at least here california is a little more when i lived in california i lived near the ocean but not on it but 20 minutes away and i just feel the ocean doesn't change because the weather's always similar down there it's you don't get the variety and weather you do up here so that's that's what, i remember i lived in la for about for a summer and then for about two and a quarter years about about two and a half years of my life living in LA and I someone made the comment that you know they got out of school and then a year later had just passed things passed really quickly time passed really quickly because there are no seasons Christmas looks the same as yeah it's a bit of a while I lived in LA for a total of 17 years and it was I mean I love there's still a lot of things about it I love and some great food I yeah a lot of great things in general but just the you know the world has changed and all the COVID and all the you know, LA was just kind of a mess. And it was just like, I had the option to come back. I used to live up in this small town I'm in and Uh the option to come back. And I just feel like my life is more, it's just a nicer life. And and even though I don't really do anything, I just go to the studio and I walk on the beach. That's literally, I mean, I have a son, so I get in (laughs) high school. So I get him off to school and, and then I go to the beach and I go to the studio. I mean, it's a pretty nice life. Right. But you know, my life in LA was basically the same without the beach and way more commuting. So, I mean, this is an upgrade, you know, and, and I love being, I love being in nature. I love, I mean, there's always animals There's and the bears are kind of gone, but in the August and September, there was bears everywhere and there's black tailed deer. And just, there's something about that presence of that, that just brings you in focus with, I find that urban life, what, what, urban life can get existentially challenging maybe is the word i'm looking for interesting yeah and when you come out and you get more in tune with just the cycle of life and you start realizing that there are other things and there are bigger things and you you fit into a spot it sort of is like freeing in a way it opens it it opens i i don't feel like as worried or as stressed or as depressed or you, you just feel like you fit into something beyond just the hamster wheel you know i've been talking about that a lot lately actually because i've been doing this like 25 years now a little over 20 almost 26 and uh i liked what i do but it gets more challenging all the time and artists are facing more and more challenges just in yeah. this this environment last year I actually managed to coast through half the outlets in the same income i don't know if that's going to happen the same this year but it's creative things i want to do on the side and other things i want to do and you're just a certain age like well, what am i going to do them and how much time do you have well, to that's... do them that's the thing that starts hitting you as you hit middle age like oh my god wait i have only so much time really to do this. I know exactly what you mean. And I'm already lucky that I get to do this. I've, I've had a few records in the past. They still, if I'm smart and thrifty, I can live with not a lot, you know, and I have enough already. And, and just getting yourself out of the, the problem with Los Angeles is Los Angeles is a great place for when you're on your way up or yep. you're right at the top. But when things change, 
there's no reason to be there because it's, it's, it's expensive. It, you know, you have to maintain a big life. If you want to have a studio and you want to both, yeah. LA is great when you're at the top of the game or you're on your way to the top of the game or that you've made enough money that you've ensconced yourself in your, your spot. But you know, if that whole industry shuffle thing isn't happening anymore, which it really isn't even for the industry itself. And I just thought, I don't need to be here. And, and, as much as I like it, and there are, you know, I do like the nature in California as well, but it's, there's a lot more people, yep. you, you got to go further. And up here, there's not a lot of people. And I, I like the solitude. I like the, you know, because we have to all be separate right now for a little while anyway. And this is, I'd rather do it here, because it's way easier. Sure. Yeah. Like I go down, like I said, I go, I, it's, 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 I've timed it, it's seven minutes to get to the beach from here. Walking. And, and there's never anyone down there. It's just me and and the rocks at low tide and, and a seal head once in a while, or a um, eagle. And, and it's just, there's something like, it just aligns you. I don't, I don't know how to describe it. It's like, I'm not really a religious person, but when I use the word God, it kind of makes sense in that context, like how the beach is rearranged. And you say, I always say like God reshuffled, you know, cause that's kind of what it is. It's this, it's something beyond you that's taking care of this, even though there's technical explanations, well, it's the tide and it's the moon and there's all these technical explanations. It feels like more somehow. So I don't think of it that way. I think of it as a bigger, more spiritual thing. Well, I, you know, it's an, isn't it interesting that so much of your music is technology driven. I mean, there's so many keyboards yeah. and samplers and, and sequencers and like, here you are doing the exact, op- I mean, you have your camera, your, your phone, but basically you're doing the exact opposite and opening up your headspace. Yeah, it balances. I mean, I've always kind of been like that. It's it's like I mean, it's a balance. And but you know, in a lot of ways, electronic music is a pretty. Like, it doesn't get credit for conveying emotion that it should, because people would always say, you know, the emotion is a guy and his acoustic guitar sitting yeah. there singing a song. True, yes, but you can convey an incredible amount of emotion with electronic music because you're really completing a whole picture that really exists in your head for the most part i don't know i think there's a lot more to be said for that than i maybe it's changing now but i feel for years it never really got that credit like i mean most most film soundtracks are electronic and people don't say that about about them they didn't used to be yeah i mean i i I met brian eno for a few minutes a few years ago and i said to him so are you surprised at like how all this you know, a lot of his soundtracks now are very ambient and, you know, kind of ethereal. He's like, he's like, I'm surprised it took them so long to catch up. <laughs> well, it's, it's true. Yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense. So I feel electronic music and the nature element, I feel it's totally, to me, it makes perfect sense in my head. And, you know, I often like, I take a Bluetooth speaker down there and I, when I, like I finished the new Conjure One album and I took the whole album on sequence and I took it down, made a fire, sat right. down there had a, you know, have some like some snacks and some drinks and just sat down there while the whole sunset. And I put the album, I listened to it top to bottom. And that's when I know, okay, this is good. Or I would hear a couple yeah. pieces where I go, okay, I got to do that and that. But I, I listened to it in that environment. And then, you know, if this record is right. So frontline, I, I do it and I'm more listening in the car when I'm driving around. It's a little bit more of driving music. Yeah. Yeah. Front, frontline's very much a car test. Like I always know right away, that's what LA was good for because the car testing, I don't do as much car testing here as I did in LA. Um, Car testing is a really good way to hear if the energy trajectory of a piece is right. So that's what I would do with Frontline. I would put it on the car and as soon as I get going, you can hear like, oh, wait a minute, this part dips or you, you can hear it right away. The car is a great place to listen to music. It's interesting. I'm looking at some more of your Instagram photos. Like you have this one, it looks like the, the skin of a snake. That, that was a dead snake. Yeah, it was a, it was a dead snake. Look, I can see all that. I can see it's like the bones. Like it's actually kind of transparent. It's not. Totally That's when late. I was in quarantine when I first came back to Canada, and I, I, I could only really walk around the property I was staying in. Yeah, and so I, I took. I would only take pictures in, like the the sort of three acre area I was in because you weren't supposed to go around and. Yeah. And I just I look around a lot when I walk around, so I always. That's why I love photography because. I'm always like looking around and I always notice something and I always feel like that is interesting. I would like to, I think it's interesting. I, I would like to share that and maybe someone else would think the same way. 
We also emphasize the color in the photo because everything else is not black much. and white. Oh, yeah, I do that sometimes. But the blue on the snake, I think, was pretty much as it was. Yeah, no, I think what you did is yeah, you just you, you drain the color of everything else. And there's also another shot of a tree here where it's a sepia kind of a sepia tone picture, but the, the moss on the tree itself is green. Well, I like to draw attention to what I think is the interesting part, like the highlight part. And and sometimes when you take a picture of the uh, kind of a forest, it's, it's just so much going on that you're not really getting your attention drawn to necessarily what the focal point is supposed to be. So I do that. So I'm trying to highlight what I think the focal point of the photograph is. And that's, that's a way you can do that. You're spending so much time creating, creating sounds. How does this work for you as an artistic outlet visually? It's as satisfying as making music. I can tell you that. I really enjoy it. I don't know how to describe it. It's like, as soon as I stop making music, I'm doing this. So it's like, I don't know. It's like, I just love to be doing something creative at all times. It's, uh, I mean, maybe not at all times, but a lot. And, yeah. and I need a break from music, but my brain doesn't fully shut off. So I go onto this. It, they sort of feed off each other in a lot of ways. And well, I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to start exploring that more. Um, I, I have an idea for my next, like the uh, sort of the more, the harder, techno stuff I put under my own name I'm going to put out a new record where I'm going to combine these two elements more and I don't want to give it away but there, there's there's a plan I'm coming up with and I'm going to combine both of these elements and expand upon it a little bit because you know when you're not on the road and you're in one place you can you can come up with these concepts a lot more freely you're not worried about having to go on the road or do these things so I'm focusing more inward and trying to expand myself artistically because you know, I've been doing music a long time and it's, uh, you know, it's great, but I still, there's other stuff I want to incorporate into it. And, and I'm only now starting to, I think, start getting into that a little more rather than the, you know, with Frontline, we had the album tour album cycle thing in the nineties and, yeah, yeah. and, you know, now that's not happening anymore. So now it's time to be more artistic. I, I think that's what I want to do. It's like, do things that are more just about art and not just about like making an album that you want to make as popular as possible is actually not really what I'm thinking about now. I mean, with frontline and a you know couple other projects mm -hmm. it is, but the, the solo stuff I'm doing is I want to make it a purely artistic endeavor. It could be called indulgent. <laughs> you know, there's, other, there's ways there's, cri <laughs> there's critical ways to look at that, that you can criticize that. Yeah. But to me, it's just like, I want to do something that's purely artistic and not just music, but bringing other things as well and making more like a complete artistic package. I just put out a cassette, which was kind of a sign of that, because why would you put out a cassette right now? Right. It seems like a weird thing to do. A lot of people um, are doing it, though. They are doing it. And, and then I want to take it further where I made an interesting package. So you have something, you have a something and the music you can also download when you buy it. But it was more like making, coming up with a cool design and a fold-out box. Like, that's kind of what I want to get into more. It's like little creative projects. And the cassette was also a nod to the old industrial music I liked in the 80s, where they would put out these weird live cassettes for limited edition 50 yeah, copies. Yeah. And, like, I like that. I like that. It's, it's definitely not about commerce. It's about just creating something cool and uh, just trying to be more of an an artist, right? You know, I, I, I'm interested in becoming an artist, not just a musician or producer, but. It's, it's tricky these days because everyone's wearing so many hats and they also, you know, yeah, the art and commerce thing is always kind of tricky. Yeah, you were talking about sort of combining video or photos and, and music. Do you remember the group EBN that came out like in the nineties, they were on TVT emergency broadcast network. I was thinking, oh, of the yeah. fact I interviewed yeah, I those guys that. in Rhode Island when I was still living in Boston and they. They're from Rhode Island. Yeah, I think they were based in Rhode Island and they actually would, <laughs> I, they sort of had the stuff where they would mix video and music samples. Like there was sort of- I remember multi it now, now, well, now that you mention it. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I have to go back and look, but I think there was a multimedia thing they were doing and it, I guess it was really a bit ahead of its time given what was going on. Yeah, it would be interesting to see what you could do with, I mean, I know that Brian Eno had this, uh, this thing called 77 Million Paintings. It was a mixture of a lot of different visual imagery um, and some of it almost looked like fractals and, and, and whatever else. And it was combined with music. But I guess these patterns changed with the music. So it would never sort of, I think, repeat. 
yeah, as it were. I saw it at, I think it was like at Harrods or something in London. Then they had it in New York, which is when, when I met him at the opening night of that at the, at the Red Bull, the Red Bull venue they had near Penn Station. It was the same thing. It was like something sort of combining. You would just sit there and I love his music. I actually had to go on a trip to L.A. And I actually went into the city just to see that again. Oh, wow. Before I went on my trip, because I just I really I would just sit there for a couple hours and absorb this stuff. You don't get you don't really get those kind of multimedia experiences. And no, you don't. I mean, occasionally something's curated properly. In uh, 2019, I was at the Berlin Atonal Festival. Mm -hmm. And when you initially walk in, it's, it's in an incredible building, an incredible open industrial space. But they had like these sort of like film loop installations. And there was all this drone music in the background. And I thought it really made sense. And I thought the drone music was connected to the installations, but it was actually live artists playing upstairs. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Serendipitously combined. Yeah, yeah. Combined. But, but when you see things like that in the right space, it's 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 like I almost like it better than a concert. It's it's something you can kind of you can walk around the room and you can, it, it, it's, you know, you don't have to stand there and put your focus on one spot. It's yeah, like, yeah. I, I, it's, it's, I think it's a nice alternative. I'm looking at more of your photos too. Cause there's a lot of different, there's a lot of nature stuff and you, and like, there's one, it looks like you have a picture of a couple of vehicles that look like abandoned. One is a car. Another one looks like it's an ice cream truck or it's a, that's um, a nice, the ice cream truck. Yeah. And that's just sitting, that's just sitting in the woods somewhere. Yeah. It's near here. I mean, I just take pictures of things that I, I find interesting. I do it the same way I do music. I just do music what I think sounds good. And I think that's all you can really do. And I think it's the only way to be creative. It's just do what you think, because that's your best approach. And I try and do, I mean, my, I don't have as much variety where I am right now, but I try and do a variety of different things. You know, one of my favorite places to take pictures was actually Baltimore. That's an interesting city. Yeah, Baltimore is a really interesting. We, I took some pictures when I was there, and it's it's such a weird mix of like urban decay and old Americana, and it's it's just like there's a lot going on in Baltimore. I I walked all around that city. I really I I, I think Baltimore is like secretly one of my I, I kind of like it. It's Baltimore and D.C. I like. I think they're interesting cities. Baltimore, you know, I went there, God, this is over a decade ago. I was, I was uh, doing something for American Airlines magazine on, on the Grinch tour that was going on. They're doing like a two-month tour for the end of the year. And I went around sort of while they were rehearsing and doing whatever. And I found like there was a trapeze school by the water. I don't know if that's still there. I thought it was interesting. By the harbor? Yeah. And, like and, near Camden Yard and, and the aquarium and that whole. Yeah, it was it was sort of like and people were just out there doing it with a giant, all, all this netting and everything. They have That's this, interesting. The American Visionary Art Museum, which is really interesting. I mean, they obviously have a statue of divine in there, but there's a lot of other stuff in there that was really unusual. There's a bookstore. I interviewed John Waters. We talked about all these places. A yeah, Baltimore that, is an you know. under the radar American treasure in a way. It's uh, the Edgar Allan Poe's grave is there. Yes, and, a friend of mine loves that. She's and, from there. Um, I, there's something about Baltimore I like. I mean, there's parts of it that probably aren't very nice. But you can it has, say it has a, weird, a lot of places. But it's not a weird feeling. I was walking around like nine o'clock in the morning. And I, I was like, it's sort of downtown. And there was nobody, nobody walking around. There were cars driving. And, it had, and then I would walk, I walked down this one street that was like a regular street. Then suddenly I feel like I'm in the ghetto for one or two blocks, like these abandoned buildings and whatever else. And then I go back up. And then soon after that is the... Um, the Peabody School and the music school work. Yeah, it, you know, you know. I remember another place that was interesting was Albany. Albany is like that. You're mm. well, one one area with wrought iron fence, American Gothic houses, and then two blocks later, it's just like whoa! <laughs> it's like liquor stores with chain uh, chain um, chain link fence or whatever. Yeah, the <laughs> gate in front of it. Yeah, yeah. It, it was pretty. The the East Coast of America. I don't know the East Coast of America that well. But it's like some intense stuff over there. I, well, I mean, yeah, I live near New York City. It definitely in New York. Well, New York's gotten cleaned up a lot, but there's still some grittiness. Places like the Bronx and other places. There's still, there's still some of that in Brooklyn. There's New York's, like that in, New York's in my, I love walking around Manhattan. I, it's my favorite thing to do is to like, I walked from the Met down to like where I was staying by the Empire State Building. And it's just, there's so much yeah. to look at and so much to take in. And there's so many little details. And I love details. It's my favorite. Another thing I love in cities is, is details. And when I'm yeah. on tour, I, I photograph a lot of like, for a while there, I would photograph doors. I would go to 
a city in Europe and only photograph doors because there's so much, there's just, they're just interesting. It's like the, they almost define the, the, the vibe of the city and they're different in different parts of Europe. And, and, and I love details and like the little sort of the moldings on the outside of buildings Mm -hmm. and the, and I used to live in Amsterdam and Amsterdam's full of details and like you look up on the corner and there's some weird, there's like a statue. Someone put time into it and it's just up on this thing. And New York's like one of the few American cities that's kind of like that. It's got all these details. You have to look if you're not paying attention um, and people are too busy on their phones a lot of times to pay attention. I think I, you know, we're, you know I wonder about millennials, for example, even like Gen Z, where they're so distracted by technology that they don't see the um see those things. And I, I even feel guilty of that myself. Like I, when I live in Long Island and my girlfriend's in Brooklyn, so I drive in a lot. When I'm walking around, I notice things a lot more than when I'm driving. So I'm driving. Oh, I, I, can't, I, I, I can't be walking. craning my neck, you know, you don't, you don't notice anything when you're driving. I walking is, I love to walk in, you know, you, usually in Europe every day I will get up early and walk and spend about three hours walking around the city. And especially if you're in like Vienna Budapest, those kind of cities, you have Prague. to walk because there's so much to see. There's so many details to take in. I love Eastern Europe because Eastern Europe is another great place to take photographs because you also have the classic buildings and then you have sort of the Soviet era buildings. And there's just the contrast between like the brutalism and then like the romantic, almost romantic era. Like architecture is another thing I'm really really into i have lots of books of um really i love i I love like socialist realism art um is another thing i'm uh i took my son to a lecture Uh, there's a museum in los angeles called the venda museum it's called the museum of the cold war and it's a it's a small museum but they have really interesting things in there and i took my son with me to a a lecture on soviet monumental art in kazakhstan (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i'm sure he was thrilled about that <laughs> he lasted about half an hour then i said yeah. just just you just go play with your phone for another half hour <laughs> but i love that kind mm-hmm. of art i love the mosaics that's something i started noticing about 10 years ago when i was in east germany like right, in right. leipzig and berlin is they still have all of that stuff it, it, you sort of have to be paying attention and there'll be like this grim tower block building and then you look on the side and there's this really interesting graphic mosaic and I started noticing it more and more. And then it just became a passion. And I, I, I have all these books on it. And it's, it's just this incredible, uncredited artwork. And you know, it's, it's funny because once I clued in on all of that, I started noticing it in America more. Like uh, mid-century banks will often have like a, like a socialist, uh, socialist realism is the wrong word for America, but like a uh, civic type design or something it's but it's a similar thing and then i started noticing all of this i think it's all sort of the 60s and 70s mostly then i just you know you once you get into something then you you realize it's in other places as well and and and, in la had a lot of that stuff like a lot of these mid-century like Hmm. banks and stuff will have this mosaic with like a farm landscape and then like a, a factory thing and it's very similar to the the ones in Eastern Europe, they just have this more of American theme. They, they take out this, this, the strength for socialism and all of this stuff. And, and in East Germany, they have a lot of the uh, peace doves. There's all this symbolic stuff. And it's interesting when you start connecting this all. And there is a lot of it in America. There's more than you would think, but it has a, a slightly different connotation. It's more like the freedom of the West, I think, or something like that. You know, like, like when I say West, I mean like, wild west great plains you know bison yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah yeah well it's funny because i'm doing a i'm doing this commentary track for this movie called million dollar mystery which is not the most amazing film in the world but they shot part of it in a town called bisbee arizona which is this oh little... that's where what's his that comedy uh, comic is from oh let me look this up now ah uh, i can't remember his name i can remember his face doug stanhope that's it <laughs> yeah doug stanhope <laughs> he lives there it's an interesting little town because it's got a lot of kind of Southwestern colors, a lot of the earth tones, but also stuff that seems to be very Native American influenced. And yeah. at the same time, it's it's just, it seems like it's very artist friendly. Uh, they have a lot of street art. It's a small, it's a small town. The main 
road is you know i'm sure the main street in town is like maybe it seems like a dozen blocks or something of whatever but it's it's cool like you'll find those little gems do you do you think when you're traveling now because you like architecture and you like you just like observing things and when you're with your phone or your camera that you actually start paying attention more to that because you're looking for things to photograph i think that's about the same i i think i would paying that much attention before but now i get to document it hmm. um i think i was paying equal attention because I was working on a record with Joey Jordanson, uh, the Scar the Martyr that. record I did. Um, yeah. so, and I spent a, I was in Iowa for six weeks and we weren't in Des Moines. We were in the, like the middle of nowhere. The, I think the nearest town was called Perry, Iowa. Wow. And I liked Iowa. Iowa to me was really interesting, really cool. And I used to drive around and, I was always trying to have breakfast in different towns around the area. And I loved Iowa because every town was like, it was like untouched. Like the main street looked like it was still 1905 or something. And yeah, yeah. it was a really interesting place. And I, I should have taken more pictures there. I don't know why I didn't, but I love that kind of, I love those parts of America where you get that, it's like untouched. It's almost like it's abandoned, but not totally. It's, Every town I went to had like a center street yeah. that looked like you put a sepia tone and you'd think it was 1905. And, and then there was another place I went to called Jefferson, Iowa, where the, again, the main, the main center of town looked like it was untouched from like 1958 or something. It was incredible. There's, there's it a was char- like looking at old National Geographics. I loved it. It was so cool. There's a charm to that. I mean, that, that town of Bisbee has, it doesn't look like it has any chains. Like it's literally all local businesses, which of course gives it a different kind of flavor. I did another commentary for this movie called The Hotspot with Don Johnson. They shot it in Taylor, Texas. And so I, I go through Google Maps and I start mapping through and going, oh, where did they shoot this? And, where, and I, I go through and it looks, a lot of it looks exactly the same well, as they it did. Have 30, guys that, yeah, guys years. that travel around and find these spots, these gems, you know. But there's a lot and, of, I think there's a lot more than people think. I mean, that's, there that is. is. And that is kind of where I do feel like there's also a bit of a disconnect in this country is you do have the further away from cities you go, the less modern a lot of it is. It's not like they don't have cell phones and they don't have the internet and they don't have cable TV and whatever else, but things look different and, and not everything is changing as quickly. Where I live here in Long Island, you know, when you go into the city, things are almost changing too fast. I know what you like mean. The same thing with LA. It's like, it, it's just a constant turnover. It's a, yeah. It's it, London is like that. It, London's lucky. It has that old core, I guess you could say, but Paris, like the sky, too. the skyline of London when I used to spend a lot of time in London, the skyline's completely different. Last time I was there, I was like, what? <laughs> it's like a different place. It's completely changed. I was a little disappointed. I went to Soho and all these places I used to hang out in London. And it's all like, it's just not as cool. It's so much of the character has been taken away and it's, everything yeah. looks like some tourist trap. And it's New York. That, see, that's what I liked about Iowa is because Iowa is, it is what it is. You, and, and people are nice and it's just, I, I have to say, I was surprised how much I liked Iowa. I didn't enjoy Des Moines that much. It was just sort of a kind of a Midwest sort of middling city. But the yeah. small towns were some of the buildings and just the little details were incredible. How it was just like I saw a house in Perry, Iowa that was just empty, incredible, like Victorian house, which is sitting there. And really? it was like falling apart. And I remember thinking, I wonder what that would cost, you know? <laughs> and to fix that up too. Because I mean, it was it's... an incredible house. I think I have pictures of it somewhere. It was same, same when I was in East Germany in this place called Görlitz, which is right on the po- Polish border. There was yeah. just the most incredible abandoned house there. Like I couldn't believe it was abandoned. It was like a mansion. It was like this. And then later on, I follow some of these things on Instagram where people photograph abandoned houses and, and somebody had a whole pictorial of it on there where they got inside and I freaked out. I was like, Oh my God, you got inside. And, and all the people that do that, what they call urbex photography are all really, you can't, they don't want to share any, Oh, you can't say where this is. It's like all very secret and covert, but. So called urbex, what U R B E X. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was cool to see. Oh my God. I know that place. I I'm, I'm looking for this stuff and, and evidently lots of people are. And then, you know, they take it further and go and get inside and take photographs. And I made a video for one of my solo tracks at an abandoned Soviet army base south of Berlin. And that was really cool. Sometimes you don't want people to know things like you're talking about that spot on the beach that you have to yourself. Like, yeah, I sit there thinking I 
there's places I want people to know about. And then there's some places you don't because you have, we're becoming an increasingly overpopulated world and you have to find your places of respite where you can find them. Even well, that's, during why, this- that's why I'm happy. I came back to British Columbia. British Columbia has 5 million people and British Columbia is big. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's 5 million people here. And that's probably why the, the COVID is not, I mean, compared to most States, the COVID here is, is I think, it's lower than Vermont even here. And I think it has a lot to do with population. It probably has a lot to do with people's attitudes too. I mean, uh, population also, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, attitude too, but also density. And, and, and Vancouver is actually a fairly densely packed city, but it's for whatever reason, the COVID hasn't been that bad. And, but I mean, everyone treats it like it's as bad as anywhere else. So. Well, I think, yeah, that's the tricky part we're in right now. And I think it's going to be, this is why I, I'm hoping people are, are going to learn something from this pandemic. And then at the same time, they're not. Yeah, they're I know. Not. That's the sad reality. <laughs> One thing that I think w- is good for people if they if they if they take the time to do is you can you, if you have time and not. I mean, I'm actually, I've actually been pretty busy, but I noticed that people have had extra time to start exploring something artistically you wanted to do. And I have this keyboard in the background here that it was in my girl, that lobby of my girlfriend's building. And she was going to play around with it after a few months. I'm like, let me just take it home. Now it's just sitting in my apartment for a few months, but I actually do want to just plug it in. And cause I'm, I was, I'm a drummer, but I, I always used to noodle around. I had some friends I would jam with years ago and I would noodle around and come up with different riff ideas or chord progressions. And it's just fun to do that. You don't think like what you're it talking is. about with your photography. You're not, I mean, maybe you'll do an, an exhibition someday, but it sounds like your key thing is to just exercise that part of your brain. Yes. It's exactly what it is. It's exactly what it is. It's, it's like the photography stuff is there's no profit or there's no, that's not like anything professional. It's just something yeah, yeah. I like and do for fun. And I'm lucky that, because I make music and I, there's people that know me from my music that they are going to go and look at that too. And it's, so that makes it sure. kind of a little more fun, but I would like to maybe do more of it. I've had people say that you should think about doing this more, but at the same time, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing like, like a professional photographer. So I'd feel it would be disingenuous somehow, but maybe that doesn't matter, you know, cause I know professional photographers that know photography properly I know a little bit, but I don't know it like they do, but maybe that doesn't matter because there's people that make music the same way and they are barely functional in a studio, but can make a semblance of traction and people love it. So maybe it doesn't matter. (laughs) You know, maybe it doesn't matter. Sometimes knowing all the technical details can also be maybe getting your way. I don't know. I think I'm thinking out more and more though. The tricky part about all of this is that just because someone has a, a an iPhone doesn't mean they're a photographer because they no, have a, a website I, I means they're a blogger you. and or they because they have access to a recording from their musician. But it's a weird thing because I remember the CD revolution of the 90s brought out all this music you wouldn't have gotten under the major label system, even like the major indies. So that was amazing. I mean, you guys were on Metropolis. There were labels like that that were putting out stuff that you wouldn't have heard or people putting out their own stuff. And actually, as much as it's always the, like 90% of everything is crap rule, but I did find some amazing music that wouldn't have probably not gotten released had it not been for CDs being affordable. Now with all the Bandcamp stuff and Spotify, Bandcamp is my favorite platform now, actually. And you I guys really, are on I, it. I, I'm starting to buy. I'm giving myself a little budget every month to support I, artists. I think Bandcamp has figured out a way to navigate the modern landscape of music consumption with an artist-friendly profit margin. And I, I think Bandcamp yeah. des- deserves a lot more credit than they get. But secondly... Bandcamp is still kind of relegated to more underground music. There's not mainstream music on Bandcamp, which is the only thing that I think holds the platform back because Spotify is major labels getting their cut and then giving the music away, basically. Well, and, yeah. But you guys, you guys are on Bandcamp. I know that like, like established ambient artists like Robert Rich and Steve Roach are on Bandcamp. But they're pretty independent guys. They're not guys that go through big labels. So True. It's, it's a bit of a weird time with music. I, I think it's possible on Bandcamp to do okay, but it still always feels like unless you're bringing in a big fan base you've established with a major yeah. infrastructure, it's, a, it's still going to be hard. But I do like Bandcamp a lot. I do like how their model works and and the way you can stream a song X amount of times and then you have to pay for it. And for the life of me, I don't know why they haven't done that with Spotify. I don't know why Spotify gets to be a multi-billionaire and not really pay any type of reasonable fees for any, I just don't understand how it works. Um, 
It's old school music business. It's the same as when you would sign to a major label and sign a really crappy deal and they let you spend half a million dollars and you got to pay it back out of your tiny percentage. It's the same thing. It's nothing's really changed. No, it's, 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 it's pretty, it's pretty bad. So if there's, if there's like, if someone's interested in architecture, is there any one book, one or two books you'd recommend they check out? Well, I like a very specific type of architecture. I like a lot of, um, I, I got really fascinated by Eastern European architecture. There was just something mysterious about all this stuff built in communism. It's almost like this bizarro parallel universe, like in the 70s and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And there's just something about that architecture that just feels like it has way more secrets to it that I found interesting. Even though I do love, I love brutalist architecture and that's, that's global. That's not confined to one area. What would would Um, be a good example of brutalist architecture? Well, there's like a building downtown. It's, it's all like that one hotel in San Francisco. Um, It's, it's mostly, it's all concrete usually. Uh And um, it's not nice to look at to most people. It was big in the seventies, especially like a lot of just pure concrete built, almost like stuff that looks like parking garages or something. But then there's like a beauty in some of it, like as a monumental beauty. See, I have books, but I don't know like the names. I just see stuff and like it. Like I can't say I'm into architecture enough where I can break it down into arc. My my cousin's actually an architect. I just know styles that I like. What I can do is I can estimate usually when buildings like I think I was in Berlin and there was some apartment building and I was with a friend and I'm thinking that looks like it's early 1900s. And then I went and looked it up and it was like 1910. So I can kind of narrow stuff down into that. Oh, that's interesting. So it's all, but it's all just armchair. Like my books on architecture, there's not even like, there'll be names in them, but they're, they're not things that stick in my brain. And a lot of the stuff I like is like I said, the monumental art, there's a book, um, there's a series there's a company called Fuel Publishing in England, and I buy all their books. Okay. And one of the books, one of my favorite books they put out, and this is the this sort of is a description of the kind of stuff I really like, like the details. They put out a book called Soviet Bus Stops. Hmm. And all it is is Soviet bus stops. Now it sounds like, <laughs> but when you see what they look like, you're like, whoa, those are weird. Those are cool. What are and they're in the middle of nowhere in like Tajikistan or something. But they're just, it's just interesting details. And that's the stuff I like. There's another Instagram account I follow. I can't remember the name of it, but it's just ordinary photos of small nowhere towns in America where it's just like a gas station and a diner. Like, I love this kind of like basic, I love the grand stuff, but then I also like the functional, simple stuff you don't even notice. I like that. Um, Like I'm trying to describe like, like almost like the Wes Anderson look, you know, when you see in America where you just see these mid-century yeah. buildings. Um, that's the stuff I like. But I definitely, for whatever reason, I have the biggest collection of books on the uh, monumental art of the Soviet Union because there's just something about it that's just, it's just so bizarre. Like all these detailed mosaics of scientists and conveying all these images of power and success and all of yeah. this stuff. And a lot of it was in the midst of a collapsing system, which makes it even, (laughs) it's like a way cooler version of what you see at the Denver airport. I guess I shouldn't be shocked that one of the members of Frontline Assembly would be sort of fascinated with brutalist architecture. It just sort of seems seems fitting. I I mean, I like brutalist architecture, but I have to say the monumental art is more of the stuff. And like, especially in Central Asia, where it has this weird Muslim element because like Kazakhstan and all those countries. So they mix in Mm -hmm. like this Genghis Khan designs mixed with this stark so it's just these weird juxtaposing images i love stuff like that and like you even find versions of that in america like in the uh like what you're saying in the southwest okay it's hard to extract i i think mosaics especially i like there's something about a mosaic that is just but it has to have like a dry it can't be like something you know like you see at a swimming pool that's like pretty or something it has to have this i love functional I also love um, industrial art, like signs, like um, industrial signs. Like when you notice the design of these signs, like even just the ones where you, it's like, like a hazard science where they have little descriptions and diagrams and someone on fire or something, you know, (laughs) like 
And just like, I love all that. Like, I love the details and things most people brush over. I think that's the best way to describe it. That's interesting. That's cool. I remember going to, I've been to Berlin four times. and It's an incredible city. I love Berlin. It's, and the history and the bullet holes that are still all over the place. And if you go to the, the film museum there, and for a while they had a sci-fi exhibit, so they had stuff from like Alien and all these other, and Star Wars and all these fans. There's some great museums there. Yeah, and there's one, they had this footage that was taken from like, I guess, an American plane flying over Berlin after we leveled it. And yeah. you see it going along, and it goes on and on and on. And it's just like, we just, it shows you how much devastation there was, how, how we thoroughly just destroyed them at the end of the war. Well, was the, I mean, you know, it was insane. And it's, it, 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 I mean, it, when you understand the context of everything that was going on, I oh, mean, yeah. there wasn't like, I mean, it's just the way it was there. No, one that's was, the way, that's the way it had to end. Sadly, no one that's, was that's giving what up. We had to, yeah. No the, was, the leadership was not going to give up. They were going to ride it right to the ground and to the detriment of the people of the country. You know, my grandmother had to get out of that and work her way over to the American side of things. And uh, um, I have my grandfather, I have, I have like British Canadian mother and German father. So I have both sides. I have both sides. I have, ex- I have three different wartime experiences. I have oh, wow. my grandfather who was fighting in the Canadian army with the British. I have my grand, my father's mother who was stuck in the part of Poland that used to be Germany with uh-huh. planes strafing them and them having to hide and, places getting bombed and then my grandfather who left germany in 1939 because his father refused to have his son serve in a nazi uniform because they were like christian socialists they had some commune and yeah and my great-grandfather hated the nazis and wanted his son out of the country and got him a job on a ship so my grandfather worked on a ship and jumped off the ship in canada and then got put in a prison camp um where they ironic where they basically did farm labor, you know, for the war. And then, and then, so I have like these three different experiences to hear stories from, and they're all unbelievable. Did you ever document any of that? I'm like, my mother's a, was a Cuban refugee. Oh, interesting. My grandfather talked all about his stories. He talked about, uh, they uh, first disembarked in Texas and him and his friends were just going to become cowboys and stay in Texas. And then they got picked up by somebody. He's like, what are these German guys doing wandering around Texas? And, and they got <laughs> deported and put him back on the ship. Oh, wow. He, he just was trying to not go back to Germany yeah. to get away from that nightmare. My mother's father, he fought in the uh, Canadian Calgary Highlanders division. And, okay. and he had to, he, he, he basically lived saving Private Ryan. Wow. So he had that experience. And uh, some of the stories he told me are horrifying. And then, like I said, my father's mother had, bombings you know in uh southwest poland which was still germany then and that actually i would say her stories are almost the worst has that stuff ever made it any into any of the any of the songs you've ever been involved with no it's just i mean it's i i don't do vocals i don't do lyrics so i don't really but it's something i also read a lot about that's another thing another passion of mine is that part of history i read a lot about i read all the perspectives and I can't read any more books about Stalingrad. I've, I've, I've read too many. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I know, I know when you have a passion for something and you have to take a break, like I get into something really a certain genre or type of film or a subject. And then after all, like, okay, I've got to pull away. Otherwise it becomes stale, but then you can go back to it later on if you still love it with a fresher oh, yeah. perspective when you're older and go, Oh wait, I didn't. The saddest that. passion of all is ice hockey. The saddest passion. Uh, I still love hockey. So Bill is the same. Me and Bill love hockey. We both used to play mm. hockey. Bill was a much better hockey player than me. He played later than I did, but we love hockey. I still love hockey. I'm embarrassed how much I like hockey. I'm embarrassed all the names and stuff I can remember, like going way <laughs> back. It's embarrassing. Because you were younger. And that's what happens when you're younger. The way to describe hockey to people in Canada is like football slash soccer in England. It's the same. It's this, you grow up with the, the logo of your town and you live with it forever. And, and it's, it makes no sense, but it's just the way it is. <laughs> well, listen, thank you. Thank you very much. It's great to chat with you. Hey, it was a pleasure, Brian. It was, it was nice talking to you. I hope we can uh, talk again sometime. I think we're actually friends on Facebook. So we'll stay in touch. Yeah. yeah. Just All shoot right. me, shoot me a note once in a while. Remind me I'm forgetful. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Thanks, Brian, man. take Get care you of yourself. On. Thank Bye. you. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. No problem. That wraps up this latest episode of Side Jams. Please join me for the next installment, which will be coming soon. 
The tunes used in this episode are from Fox and the Law, and I licensed them through AudioSocket. As always, thank you very much for listening. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.